Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we will be speaking with guest expert, eggnog and drink historian, Clint Lanier. Clint is the co-author of Drunken History, a historical deep dive on booze and drinking culture. And you can follow him on Twitter at Drunken History. Let's hear what he has to say about eggnog and the eggnog riots. Hi, Clint. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Now, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your specialty in the world of alcohol and academia? Well, I'm kind of a travel and spirits historian and enthusiast, um, hobbyist, maybe. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an English professor by day, but I've written pretty extensively for the Huffington Post and Eater and Photos and, and a lot of different magazines um, on spirits and, and travel. Spirits meaning the kind you imbibe. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um and I've co-authored a few books, uh, Drunken History, which is kind of a, a deep dive into history and and, uh, and man's relationship, well, society's relationship with booze, which came out before the TV show, I might say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't rip them off. Uh, I've also co-authored uh, Bucket List Bars, Historic Saloons, Pubs, and Dives of America, which is 
kind of a look at uh, the historic bars around around, or I guess a guidebook to the historic bars around the nation. And then my latest book, uh, which came out, I think it was this year. Um, it's my anti-cocktail craft cocktail book called Cracktails, um, <laughs> <laughs> the world's weirdest, worst, and most disturbing drink. So that's sort of where I fall into this weird place between booze and society and stuff. I'm sure people ask you this all the time, but how drunk are you right now? <laughs> well, it's it's only nine thirty in the morning here, so um, I, I I would say on a scale of one to ten, probably about a seven. You know, it's, <laughs> wow. it's, a, it's a light light day. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. You're drunk on life. You're drunk on life right now. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'm drunk on life. Yeah, yeah. Thank now, you for that. But bailing me out. <laughs> so where? Uh, let's talk about eggnog. Where and when was eggnog invented? Well, we don't have any exact reference it's going to come from england probably definitely europe but more than more than likely england for about a thousand years they've been mixing eggs and alcohol of some kind um booze you know spirits really only came about um in the last probably thousand years or so i mean we have we know that booze wasn't readily available until probably about 1200 or thereabouts so when we're mixing spirits with with um with eggs or milk or anything like that, it had to have been probably within the last 800 years. Okay. So there was a drink that had strong ale in it and eggs from about mm, 1200. And then about 1400, we get them mixing eggs and spirits, which would make sense because that's when spirits kind of became readily available, especially to the, the upper classes. So we're about, about 15th century now, and that's about when it started, but it was really only available to the very, very, you know, wealthy. Um, because you had spirits, you had sugar. Those are two things that were really expensive in, in Europe at that time, or in England at that time, um, as well as eggs and dairy. But then uh, we brought it to the colonies and around, you know, in the 1700s, and it became pretty, you know, pretty ubiquitous because uh, sugar was cheap, booze was cheap here, um, eggs and dairy were readily available everywhere. So that's sort of the, the brief history. So eggnog is now booming in the colonies, is what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we know. I mean, they they drank it. Well, there, there's two there's two thoughts. There's there's one that it was simply a beverage, a recreational beverage, because it's good, right? Uh, it's it's tasty, and people like tasty stuff. But the other the other thought is that it was used as a more of a, of a way to preserve eggs and dairy, kind of at the end of their shelf life, right? Because we don't have refrigerators, we don't have anything like that. Um, eggs can keep for a long time outside of refrigerators. Obviously, dairy can't, right? So we've got to, when it's at the end of, of, of their kind of useful life, their shelf life, and they're getting towards, you know, where we don't really want to drink them anymore, we don't want to waste them either. So if we mix it with sugar and, and booze, whiskey really, which is just dirt cheap. Whiskey and rum were just, rum especially was dirt cheap in the colonies because we made so much of it. And if we could just we we could mix our eggs and our our dairy with that, and it would keep it preserved. Uh, I mean, for months, um, the the alcohol would cure it, and then we could kind of use it later. Now, why is rum and whiskey so cheap? Sadly, there's the there's the the slave trade, you know, the 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 the, the triangle uh, trade that we brought um, slaves up here, and, and we we exchange it for exports and so on and so forth. And part of that, in part of that, was molasses. And actually, the center for rum production was uh, New England in, during, in the colonies. A lot of the, uh, you know, Paul Revere and, and a lot of those guys were friends with, 
with rum distillers and so forth. Uh, so rum was was really cheap. Domestic rum was really cheap, I should say. Car- uh, Caribbean or Caribbean, whatever. Jamaican rum was was still pretty expensive, um, but domestic made rum was was cheap. And then uh, corn alcohol and rye were were extremely inexpensive too because corn was was easy to grow here in the colonies and and a lot of people grew it and when they couldn't either sell all the corn or eat all their corn they would just turn it into alcohol and sell it as whiskey or something so um, George Washington for example is one of the biggest whiskey distillers uh, in the nation which is always fun but yeah so those those two things sugar uh, was was cheap to get again because we're so close to the to the Caribbean where the sugarcane was grown and uh, as was as was booze so you had all the ingredients here um, they're really close by they're really inexpensive um, so it, it became much more recreational eggnog did became much more recreational in the colonies in the in the 18th century so what was drinking like in the early 1800s could, <laughs> I mean could these cadets really hold their liquor oh man drinking was everywhere it's been argued that that the average person in America above the age of 14 drank about six pure gallons of alcohol every year. Like that's the amount they consume. Now it's today it's about two or three gallons. And when I say pure, I mean 100% alcohol. And when you consider that like a shot of you know, Jack Daniels or something is only 80 proof. So it's only 40% alcohol. Um, you know, we're talking Everclear. So like six gallons of Everclear every year is what every man, woman and child above the age of 14 drank. So, uh, booze was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. Um, it was, uh, some would say pernicious. Um, we, uh, and we drank everything. We drank, uh, rum, we drank corn whiskey, we drank, you know, wine, <laughs> we drank everything we could get our hands on. Kids drank it. Uh, you know, beer was a table beverage for children. Um, hard cider was a table beverage for children. Uh, we, we drank a lot, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna let my kids drink until they're at least 15. So, you know, it's, <laughs> things are a lot different now, but, um, Oh, I see you yeah. up the age from 14 to 15. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we have, have to be responsible. I mean, we are, <laughs> you know, in today's society, come on, we're, we're modern progressive we ha- thinkers, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so by 1826, those cadets, you know, 19 to, to 20 years old, they've been drinking for well, all their life. They've been drinking, you know, and, and whiskey, as I said, whiskey was, was two things that we, we don't, that are a lot different. So whiskey was dirt cheap, corn whiskey, especially was dirt cheap. Um, and, uh, it was really strong. It was much stronger than, than we have today. I mean, today, if you bought it by a bottle of bourbon, for example, which is the typical corn whiskey, if you buy a bottle of bourbon, it's, it's as I said, it's going to be about 80 proof. That's about where the U.S. market is. So that's only 40% alcohol. They were probably doing barrel proof. They probably didn't cut it at all. So we're looking at um, 120, 130 proof. So 60 to, to maybe even 70% alcohol was in that whiskey. Um, it might not have been aged. That's another thing to, to consider. So you look at a, a bottle of, you know, Jack Daniels or Jim Beam or something like that. It's it's that pretty brown color because they've aged it in oak barrels for like five years. Well, this is total. This is like moonshine, right? So, so it's really harsh. It's really strong and it's really cheap. You know, so um, and and they would have been used to it, unlike us, <laughs> who are who have a more refined modern palate. I'm fascinated by the fact that these cadets, I mean, I understand that it's Christmas and their choice of eggnog, you know, perhaps we can talk about why eggnog is associated with Christmas. But I, I'd also like, want to 
talk about like why they chose eggnog for their like massive kegger? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, I think I think one answer might be because again the whiskey was so harsh. It's not what we think about as whiskey today. I mean, we can take any bottle of whiskey off the shelf, pour it straight, uh, you know, and 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 sip it neat, and <laughs> we won't be falling over, uh, you know, in, within five minutes. But these these this stuff was straight, you know, pure alcohol, um, really harsh because it wasn't aged. And, you know, the, the mash bills, it wasn't, it wasn't made for a, a more sophisticated palate like we have today. It was made to, you know, to get you drunk probably. Um, so think of all the cheap stuff you had in college <laughs> and up, up the, the terrible factor by, by 10. So, you know, they, they wanted to water it down. They wanted to, they, they, they wanted to make it more palatable. Um, so that's probably one reason, especially when they had, I mean, they say three to four gallons, but most of what I read is about four gallons of this stuff. So they had four gallons of booze, um, of whiskey, probably corn whiskey. And, um, they have a lot of cadets. Uh, I think ultimately 90 were, were, uh, singled out. So say 90 cadets, um, four gallons of booze. So they need to stretch it. They need to make it taste better. Um, that's probably, probably what they did. And so the question of why eggnog? Uh, eggnog was tradition. So it was by this time, 1826, you know, um, early 19th century, late 18th century, eggnog had become a traditional kind of Christmas beverage because again, it started out and this is where the people that say, well, it's, it's to preserve food. That's why it became popular. This is where they have a really good point. Um, eggs, milk, and so forth by the end of spring or by the end of summer, rather beginning of fall, they might start going bad. So you want to preserve it. Right. So you're going to preserve it through the winter months. Right. And so Christmas is a celebratory time. It gives you the opportunity to crack open one of these bottles and and and, and drink it. So eggnog probably became very um, just, you know, part of the celebration or tradition of, of Christmas even back then. So the cadets were used to it. They're used to it at home. You know, a lot of these cadets were middle, upper class um, uh, family from middle or upper, upper class families. So they're used to these kind of traditions anyway. Um, so to them, it would have been, um, you know, just part of the celebration of Christmas. So I, I'm fascinated. You're saying that eggnog became traditional Christmas drink because it was just timing. It's like that's around when the eggs and the cream were going to go bad. So I think I think timing. <laughs> I think timing, and it was it was yummy, right? And so this well, is sure. this is this is something to celebrate. They didn't have, you know, we have ten federal holidays. I think they had none back then. Um, so they had just the very, um, church-based holidays, you know, Christmas and Easter and, and, and so forth. Um, but this was a big one, you know, Christmas was a big holiday when people got the day off and, and so forth. Um, you know, they're working the work week back then was six to seven days, right? So they actually got a day off during the week. It was kind of a big deal they wanted to celebrate. So, right. So what can you tell us about George Washington's connection to eggnog and, I guess alcohol in general. Uh, you were saying he was a whiskey <laughs> distiller, um, and have you ever tried his eggnog recipe? Okay, um, a lot of stuff. So George Washington was—he um, could hold his liquor. Um, that's what we know. We—I mean, George Washington was six foot five and two hundred and fifty pounds. He was a big guy, especially at that time. I'm tall for that time, and I'm a short person. So um, uh, he was really tall for that time. <laughs> um, we know that he, you know, he really, he enjoyed imbibing. Um, we have lots of records of him at various kind of 
either state events or some type of official events, whether it be Masonic lodges or something where he made, he was responsible for making all these toasts. And back then when you made a toast, you finished your your glass. So you didn't <laughs> say toast, take a sip and toast. You, you toasted somebody and then drained your glass. And, and, uh, and so we have all these records of him doing that. So we know that he liked booze. And uh, so that's, that's one thing that, that we just kind of have this historic, maybe just because of him, because he was so prominent, they wrote down everything that he did. And we know that, that he drank a lot because of that. But again, everybody drank a lot. And then uh, in 1780, I think eight, um, he started distilling his own rye whiskey because he grew rye at Mount Vernon. So he, he grew the grain at Mount Vernon. And this is sort of like a, what happened to all the farmers at the time is, well, we have this extra grain. We have this extra corn. What should we do with it? You know, it's hard to transport because you need a wagon or whatever. It's easier just to make it into whiskey and then we can sell it as whiskey instead. So he started doing that and he became the biggest whiskey distiller. I mean, he, he hired a Scottish foreman. I can't remember his name right now. Um, who built him a mill and said, you know, I, I know about whiskey because of course he's Scottish, no offense to Scottish people, but they like whiskey. And in any case, um, but he was, he was uh, a foreman. He built this mill and he, and he said, you know what, uh, General Washington, you could make a lot of money if we take this grain and turn it into whiskey and sell it. And, and Washington's like, let's do it. And, uh, and so by, by his death, he was the biggest distiller in America. Um, as far as his connection with eggnog, lots of stuff. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place. As far as his his connection with eggnog, um, we happen to, we do have his recipe, uh, just, but we also have his recipe for beer. I mean, again, um, these were common household beverages that, that everybody had. I think everybody probably had their own. We know Thomas Jefferson had a recipe for, for beer, for example. Um, so they all probably had their own recipes. We, we have a recipe for rum punch, uh, from Washington. So eggnog was just one of those things that they had. This was his recipe. So he liked to use, there's a, there's a, some funny parts about that recipe. Um, he used, uh, he didn't use brandy. He used sherry, which is more expensive. Um, and if he noticed it, it says Barbados rum or Jamaican rum, one of the two, but it's not just rum. It's a, it's Caribbean rum or Caribbean rum, whatever. Um, which is more expensive. So he's using really expensive ingredients in his eggnog. Um, I don't know if you could tell the difference between, <laughs> you know, good rum and terrible rum when you mix it with eggs and sugar, but he was using good stuff. So, so have I ever had his recipe? I don't know if I have the last recipe, the one that I have in my fridge right now has, it has brandy rum and whiskey in it. So it's pretty close to his, but it's not, it's not sherry and it's not, you know, a particular kind of rum because it's kind of like for me it's kind of like taking really expensive bourbon and making an old-fashioned or out of it you know yeah. why, why, <laughs> why why hide the taste of really good booze with eggs and sugar and milk so but it's it's good i mean the, the recipe that i use it again it has brandy rum and whiskey which is what he used um although he used rye whiskey i use i use bourbon but yeah it's 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 good it works really well it's a, a very it's a delicious stuff you know delicious stamp of approval yeah yeah uh, george washington's recipe yeah definitely the the cadets at uh west point often frequented a a local tavern uh called benny haven i'm Mm -hmm. not sure if you're familiar with this historic Mm -hmm. bar but if so can you tell us about it you know i've never i've never been there personally but i've been i've been to a bar there's a bar called uh the old 76 house which 
old 76 house, which is in Tappan, New York, um, which is south of, of, of um, West Point. And it's kind of representative of what they would have looked like at the day. It's just a single room. It's a single room um, with, you know, just a, just a, um, a bar on it. And um, it was a very kind of roughshod type of place by, by then. But, but taverns were where, were where everyone hung out. Um, it was the Starbucks kind of of its time, and and you'd go there to to post you know notices for public notices for for all kinds of stuff. So stuff was going on at, at the taverns. There was really only two public places in every town, and that was a church and a tavern. So the cadets would would go to the tavern and would barter for for drinks. So they would trade they would trade stuff that was sent to them from home. So they would trade everything from socks to blankets to shoes to whatever they had for, <laughs> for booze. They would, they didn't have any money um, because they weren't allowed jobs. They weren't allowed currency and they weren't allowed to barter anything from West point from the military. So they could only barter personal possessions. So you can imagine them writing home and saying, Hey mom, you know, I'm, I need some more socks or something like that and getting them and then running over to the tavern and saying, Hey, can I get a, a bucket of booze? Type of thing, you know, so. Booze sort for of socks. Thing. Yeah. I mean, it <laughs> makes sense to me. I'd trade my yeah. socks for booze. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's an easy call. So, right. I, you know, how has the trajectory of eggnog really evolved to what it is now? Commercially available kind of popular culture eggnog. We've taken the booze out, first of all. So we've made it family friendly. Um, I didn't know what, I don't know when that happened, but I suspect it was probably after prohibition. Um, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of, um, there weren't really problems with still up until, you know, 1918, 19, 19, there weren't problems with giving children, you know, beer or anything like that. I mean, um, a lot of families had like their household beer and children would partake. So it was after prohibition that we got all these federal laws that had to do with alcohol. Um, so that's probably when, when booze was removed and it's really been watered down, pardon the pun. Um, I think now law, the law says that to call it eggnog, you have, you can have, you have to have, have at least 1% egg in the entire batch. Right. Um, <laughs> so in a, in a gallon of eggnog, only 1% of it is actually egg. The rest is just, you know, sugar and, and flavorings and, and stuff like that. So yeah. It's, it's become terrible, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> once, once you try the real—I mean, the real stuff—you, um, you, you can appreciate what they had. It was—it's really good. If you compare it to George Washington, I believe his recipe calls for twelve eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, then, um, I think okay. today's eggnog is one percent, right? Is- <laughs> yeah. yeah, but see, the, the thing is, once you know, you have to—you have to age it. That's one of the one of the secrets too, and that's something that I've, I've always wondered about this you know, the eggnog riot is there's no aging. They just poured the booze in, mixed it all up and, you know, away you go. Um, but if you ever read his recipe, you know, he talks about, you have to beat the oak, uh, the yolks and the whites separately. And then you fold one into the other. And then you, you beat the cream until it essentially turns into whipped cream and you fold that in. So it's a very delicate type of process. Right. And, um, and then you, you mix the, the, the liquid with all of that stuff together and then you just let it sit. You literally, for me, I put it in the fridge for about a month. And um, and it looks kind of funky. But what happens is that booze just breaks down all of that protein and the eggs and everything else. And it ends up making this really velvety, smooth, delicious kind of drink. So <laughs> the cadets, 
I mean, they were like, you know, Rocky with eating raw eggs. It's like, it, they, it, I, I can't imagine how terrible it must have been, but right now it's like um, quick batch eggnog is not something I would ever want to try. Wow. We made so much fun of uh, George Washington for, um, you know, wait, waiting out the uh, egg process, but I guess he, he knew what he was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. No, you have to. You have to. You really do. You let you let that, that booze just get in there and cure it and break it all down, and it, and then uh, it's delicious. It's, it's worth the time that it takes, um, which is why, like I said, they must have been so desperate for for something. To, they to, wanted a to, party. They wanted a party. <laughs> Tonight you know, is just, the night. <laughs> but, you know, I, I guess I always think back to, like, my, my – sophomore year in college, you know, when I was drinking the stuff that I would drink back then, right? The Boons and the Mad Dog and all the other rot gut that you drink. It's, I guess that has not changed, you know, and in 200 years, that has not changed at all. Um, Here are a bunch of college students and they'll just drink whatever they can get. (laughs) So we are in the blame business. Hmm? And I have to ask you at the end of the day, who or what do you think would have been responsible or to blame for the eggnog riots? If you had to pick one thing, what, who or what would that be? God, there's so many different factors to look at. Um, an obvious one is Thayer, the commandant, um, who outlawed booze. And, and this was a tradition that they've had forever, but he, he outlawed it that year. Um, that's, that's certainly one that you know is, is fairly obvious. You could also, I mean, you could blame some of the older cadets, like Jefferson Davis was there. He was, I think he was, again, pardon the pun, egging them on. Um, and and I know that was terrible. I'm sorry. Uh, he is, uh, that's why I'm not the professional comedian. Um, but he, uh, you know, he was, he was getting them into trouble. And that was, he was an older cadet. And there were other older cadets that were kind of doing the same thing. There's the tavern keepers who, you know, there's that, that guard who, who turned his back and let him walk through with all the all 35 the cents 35 cents you know <laughs> which is so let's see if you think that by in today's dollars 10 cents is probably about what like two or three dollars i think oh yeah we did the math it comes up to eight dollars and 20 yeah. something cents <laughs> right yeah yeah not very much money um <laughs> so I, I don't know i i would also look at the culture i think that would be a big one um drinking culture it, it really did change towards the end of the 19th century beginning of the, of the 19th century though, coming out of the seven, uh, out of the, the 18th century, we were just saturated with booze. I mean, we really were, um, drinking houses back then, um, like whiskey road, you hear these, these terms like whiskey road, skid row and stuff like that. They were, they were, it, it was amazing how terrible they were. I mean, uh, you'd go into a, a bar in some places and they would literally have a, a um a pipe or not a pipe um but like a hose attached to a barrel of of booze and you could just for like 25 cents you could just put your your mouth on the hose and just drink and drink and drink and drink and drink until you pass out um so i think the culture might be might really be something to look at so that's kind of before you they get there right this is what caused them to kind of have that that um, entitled attitude, right? The, mm. the attitude of, of, you know, this is what we all, we always do. How can you, you know, how can you um, take this away? I mean, this is what we're used to. This is kind of the culture of the time. So um, I think that might have a lot to do with it as well. 
Interesting. We're gonna ha- we might have to revisit this um, back uh, when we discuss <laughs> based on your comments. <laughs> well, well I- I'm sorry to throw a wrench in it. No, it's great. Thank you so much, Clint, yeah. for joining us today and helping us understand uh, eggnog and you know alcohol in general a little bit. Of course, absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Alarmy. And fact checker Chris Smith. I'm here. I'm drunk. <laughs> That's... I wish, right? That, <laughs> that up, Listening to that made me really want a creamy drink. It also made me feel like, you know, I don't drink that much. If you compare yourself to an 18, <laughs> you know, person in the 1800s, <laughs> yeah. I'm doing great. I, I, I definitely don't have a drinking problem. I mean, look at those people. They have a drinking problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm well within my two to three gallons a year. <laughs> I can even hit that. I am thriving. (laughs) I mean, if you include the wine, I'm hitting the gallon mark. Oh, yeah. Oh, easy, easy. Yeah. The the pure. But when he said that it was like six gallons of pure alcohol. Yeah, that's a crazy stat. How you kind of can think how you it just i that sort of broke my brain a little bit i couldn't really i couldn't really figure that one out but all i know is that on during a if there's a lot of weddings i have to go to my gallon intake is going to increase quite a bit <laughs> that's right but with quarantine there have been no weddings except ho- at home drinking has increased we yeah have a little, we have there's a nothing to, to wake up for we've in had the a morning we've, <laughs> had, we've had a little wedding every every night of quarantine <laughs> 
just a small yeah. one. A small wedding. Um, yeah, uh, you know, you learn some... You, we keep learning because... <laughs> I just said we keep learning. What a nerd. Um, <laughs> but we do. We keep learning because we talked about the six-gallon thing, you know, in the Prohibition episode, but I never realized it was pure alcohol. Right. Yes, that is insane. And I also just want to mention uh, something that he said that really startled me, which was that you could go to a tavern, pay 25 cents to put your mouth on a hose that was <laughs> tapped straight into like a huge liquor barrel. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I love talking to Clint. He really quick, was insightful. Just a quick fill up, just a quick, just get me, get like me going. Like a car, like a car. <laughs> that is insane just a hose i yeah. mean it's i guess it's like the what are the chris what are those things that frat guys do where you have the yeah, hose like from the beer stand. Kegger. Kegger, Kegger, yeah. um but he mentioned whiskey row which i had heard of but uh he also mentioned skid row and i wonder if that's where the term comes from i mean now skid when you think of skid row you think of um sadly like you know downtown homeless you know uh encampments but perhaps it comes from alcohol perhaps it was like where the bars were i think i've looked this up actually as the fact checker um skid on the skids was a a term they used for uh things are not looking good for me i'm on my way down so i think that's where skid row comes from so Skids, oh, skid, very, skids, it, skids, I believe, are what they put log, logs oh, on. Oh, here it is, yeah. The get, term skid row originally referred to the path along which timber workers yeah, skidded right. logs. And which uh, means it, it goes downhill. Oh, skid row. You're on the skids. Interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, he also, okay, he also, he, he said so many things that I wanted to discuss. First of all, he said that... George Washington, of course, was six five and tall for his um, uh, for the time. He also said he was short and that he would have been tall for the time. I'm five feet. I'm wondering if I would have been tall <laughs> for the time. Oh, Rebecca, warm up that time machine because you would have probably fit right in. You think so? Yeah, I yeah. think yeah, you would have been maybe average. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the nicest thing anyone said to me ever. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Amanda, you would have been a tall, like, like I guess, supermodel. Uh, yeah, I would have been are. a supermodel in the 1800s. <laughs> that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> and Chris, I mean, you could have been a supermodel too. I don't think that modeling was as as useful back then. I think we probably would have worked in a store with high shelves. Maybe Amanda and I, like Amanda, work at like a pharmacy where she had to like pull things off of high shelves, and maybe I would. I don't know what. Yeah, I would, you could also I help could Amanda run her shop. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, I would probably be a roofer, I guess. Somebody who had to reach or <laughs> yeah. a, a gutter cleaner. Or Ceilings something. Yeah. were much lower back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, he also uh, talked about, um, you know, I wrote down drinking culture. He blamed drinking culture um, for the eggnog riots, and he mm -hmm. also blamed entitled attitudes. That was a that's one of our keywords, I feel like entitlement is sort of an alarmist trigger word, if you will. So I also noted that. And then I also noted um, that there were he mentioned no federal holidays, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that so was very I interesting. feel 
we could have put overworking on the board. Oh, which we kind of discussed um, yeah. when we were, you know, kind of telling in, uh, in our own way, telling Thayer to give those guys a break. They deserve that eggnog. Mm-hmm. But yeah. do they deserve that eggnog? This is what we're discussing. I mean, yes, I, be- I think they do deserve the eggnog. But yeah. but maybe not. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think. Okay, so just a reminder to the listeners: we sent the ninety cadets to jail, and we um, slapped Superintendent Sylvanus Thayer. And um, uh, the riot act, I will say, was a close second, but that did not end up being punished. Right. Right. So, what do we think? Should we reconsider? I mean, drinking culture, I think, is looking a little bit more. Uh, suspicious, or it's climbing up the ladder for me. I mean, I think I always felt like we were a little bit hard on the those young boys, you know, <laughs> drinking hard cider since they were 14 and no federal holidays. They just wanted a party and I'm with them. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I agree. I'm also, I, I found it interesting, his description of, um, Washington as well, his first sort of um, uh, addressing your question where he talked about Washington as somebody who was one of those guys at the party who's always saying, okay, let's now toast this. And he like raises his glass and like everyone's like, oh, Jesus, dude, like we have to drink a whole nother thing now. And he's like, I, I feel like I- I- I'm really interested in how Washington used his just ma- body mass to run basically get into a position to run the country because like when you can out drink somebody you have a serious advantage over them in Mm. lots of ways and so Mm. if he's the one who's sort of like he's like nobody can keep up with me only because he just happens to be bigger than everyone and he kind of uses that to his advantage makes everyone get drunk and meanwhile he's like running the country the way he wants to plus i i also thought there was like a correlation between him and or not a whatever it was just like he reminded me of trump a little bit because Mm. he started that business like uh, of whiskey of, of distilling yeah. yeah that distilling business and you know he's capitalizing off of his fame and all that stuff just like kind of trump does and he's like you know basically how trump puts his label on like he's like trump water like buy trump everything yeah you know? like water. he's well he does i'm not tr- touching trump water <laughs> no god ew <laughs> do you remember when trump tried to make water <laughs> no it was terrible was it had a the bottles out. were the bottle was a regular bottle of water, but the like label had Trump's face and it was black and red. No. It was like the least appealing water bottle packaging you would ever imagine. Water that packaging like should would... be blue. That's yeah, it. Yeah, oh, or clear. Or, or, or green, Poland Spring. Ew, no, that makes me think of algae or mold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like a little mold in my water. <laughs> a little you, flavor. You know what you made me realize was that toasting was the drinking game of the 1800s. Or, you know, 18th century. It's mm. like, let's well, toast to this. <laughs> I think that's true. And it was sort of um, like a skill that you had to have, I think, to be a fun dinner guest was to be able to deliver a good toast. Yeah. So the the more you guys are, I feel like you guys are convincing me that I think the drinking culture had something to do with this riot because it wasn't, you know, the, the changes that Thayer was trying to implement it might have been too extreme too quickly. You can't just change the culture mm. um, of of an institution 
And, you know, when it's so different, I think what we're forgetting is how different it was from the outside world, right? What's going on around them. What are you talking right. about? Oh, West Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah West Point. The, going, gotcha, like the, gotcha. The, the, the difference between what was happening inside West Point versus like what, like the second you stepped out and you went to one of those taverns and like literally everyone back home and in your family, it's it's a massive difference. Mm-hmm. Right. These are the traditions. And we know how people get when you try to take away their traditions. They mm-hmm. freak out. So I don't know. I guess we could send 19th century drinking culture to jail and um, maybe just release the cadets um, just in time for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be so happy. But like, it, seriously, you know what? You know what I think? If this had been like, okay, this is the the battle of our life. This is the night before the battle of our lives. And it's the most important battle. You know, we're, we're fighting for freedom or whatever. And then they got drunk. I'd be like, come on, guys. Like, what are you doing? But it's Christmas. They got drunk on Christmas. Right, right. Big whoop. (laughs) Big stinking whoop. They shouldn't have taken out their bayonets. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Well, you know what? They've been in the drunk tank. And now they've sobered up, and I think it's time to let them out. Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm calling it. You, you're right. Uh, the cadets, uh, you've been formally released. Uh, please join your families uh, for Christmas. <laughs> and drinking culture in the 1800s? You're going to the alarmist jail. Nice. Nice. Thayer, th- you, you know, keep that... Keep that uh, little cheek uh, available because we might slap you again. You know, Ooh, we a might slap just for fun. <laughs> Maybe after we've had a few glasses of Washington's nog. <laughs> Does the big slap mean that after you, they get the big slap, they could potentially get the big slap any day in perpetuity if we ever run into these people? <laughs> Is that what you're implying there by saying that Thayer could get yeah. another slap? I, I I think one slap. Look, it's not enough. <laughs> Additional slaps. The big slap means you could get slapped again. Yeah, well, there's an echo. I put an echo on that slap. So that, <laughs> that echo keeps on echoing. So, um, Amanda, do we have any um, business business affairs that we need to tie up? I mean, honestly, just just enjoy your holiday. And we uh, we announced it on um, last week's episode, but we have merch. Um, it might be a little late for a holiday gift, but I don't know. Maybe you could expedite the shipping or something. But that's go to um, erios.net slash shop um, and all of our Alarmist merch is there. It helps support the show and you get a fun little gift for yourself. Um, and it's also linked in our show notes. And then also it, we would like to ask you as our holiday present if you would rate and review the podcast because we read every single one of those it helps people discover the show it helps us climb up those ladders and charts and algorithms and it's really all all we want from you guys so it's all we want for christmas so rate and review and spread the spread the good word about the alarmist yeah uh and sing about it in a holiday tune that's oh yes go way. go caroling door to door in your neighborhood wearing a mask <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for listening uh, to our show, and we wish everyone a happy holiday. And of course, tune in next week. We will be discussing who's to blame for Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park.
powered by ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.